You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Yeah, Film Vault. We are one of the original film podcasts. That can't be true. There was like two other film podcasts when we began, Brian. How long have we been doing this show? You and I first sat down and did a version of the show over 20 years ago. My God. Two episodes each week. One. We review movies and the first episode and the second one. Different top five every week. Movies that made you cry. Worst movie accents. Most disturbing movies. All right, the Film Vault. Check it out. Wherever you find a fine podcast. That's right. The Film Vault's going on 20 plus years. Welcome to the future in this year's wildest super fun show for adults. Hey gang, it's Josh Olson. And Joe Dante. And we want to tell you about our podcast. It's about movies. Josh, there are a thousand podcasts about movies. Sure, but ours is different, Joe. That's true, actually. Our guests are writers, directors, musicians, comedians, actors. Hell, we even have other podcasters on. We play no favorites, and they don't talk so much about their own work but about the movies that have influenced them and made them who they are. We call it the movies that made me. We've talked with people like Guillermo del Toro, Little Stevie Van Zandt, Martin Short, Ethan Hawke, William Freakin, Barbara Crampton, Jonathan Ross, Dennis Lehane, Mark Duplass, Adam McKay, Lorraine Newman, Jason Reitman, Alison Anders, Elijah Wood, Stephen Canales, Eli Roth, Joe Bob Briggs, Roger Corman, Bobcat Goldthwait, Leon Douglas, Dana Gould, Martin Campbell, Shane Black, Albert Hughes, Emily Deschanel, Joel Biafra, Larry Fessenden, Nicole Hawson, Rashad King, Lee Daniels, Roslyn Chow, Clancy Brown, Yardley Smith, Ike Arnold, Steve Arquette, Thomas Miller, Jimmy and Uwe Boll. It may not be highbrow, but it's lots of fun. Subscribe for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. In color to thrill you as never before. All right, quiet on the set. Camera speed. Sound production, take one. Action! Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era. Hear fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine, who quite literally lives just beneath the Hollywood sign, and actress-writer Nan McNamara. Now your hosts, Steve and Nan. Welcome back, everybody. We're excited to bring you a story today that involves an actress that both of us really adore. Yes, indeed. One of the reasons I adore her is because of her Irish heritage, <laughs> which being Nan McNamara, you know, I have a bit of a terrible Irish accent there. But she is quoted as saying two things that I just love. She says about being an Irish woman means many things to her. And one of them is that she can face any hazard that life throws her way and stay with it until she wins, which is key to this story. So as you like to say, tab that and we'll come back to that. that. But the other thing that she says that I just love is she is not above a sock in the jaw if you have it coming. (laughs) That's fantastic. And I can see her doing it. I can too. And the person that we're talking about is... Maureen O'Hara. Now, you have a personal connection to Maureen O'Hara that I would really love to hear. You know, I do. It's actually my father. Uh, Maureen O'Hara was my father's absolute favorite movie star ever. And the reason being is he actually got to meet her. Uh, wow. In fact, he was sort of in a movie with her. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know it, it sounds interesting, but my father was in the Navy. And in the summer of 1956, he was stationed on a ship in Pensacola, Florida. Florida. I think it was called 
called the NAS Pensacola. Okay. Well, unbeknownst to him, this was a ship that director John Ford chose for the filming location for the movie The Wings of Eagles. Which Maureen O'Hara starred in with John Wayne. Yes, and also musical comedy star Dan Daly. Yes, yes. It was an interesting movie. It was a biopic about war hero, this naval officer named Frank Weed, and it shot on my dad's ship. Well, my dad was a communications officer, and he was stationed on the bridge with the captain and the officers, so he got a first-hand look at the filming of this movie and oh, he ended up being he ended up being an extra in it but the one thing I remember him saying about the filming and the movie and his whole experience was that John Wayne was a total prick <laughs> okay this is a little bit of a theme sorry John Wayne but it, we've heard that from multiple people it is a theme and according to my dad that he was just rude he was arrogant he showed up drunk more than one time on set and he treated the sailors like peons he Aww. said that was the worst part he really really was this arrogant dick hmm But my dad's memories of Wayne's co-stars are quite different. He said that Dan Daly was a fantastic guy. He was extremely friendly and attentive, and he would just stay up all night with the sailors telling stories. Hmm. And what we found out later about Dan Daly, we can kind of see that maybe this was Dan Daly's slice of heaven. Right, right, right. (laughs) A bridge full of hot sailor boys. Right, (laughs) right. But the real praise came for Maureen O'Hara. He said that other than my mother, of course, she was the most beautiful woman he's physically ever seen in his life. He said that the days that she would show up on the ship for filming, that everybody on ship tried to find a reason to come to bridge because they wanted to see Maureen O'Hara. He remembered her as extremely friendly and funny and easy to talk to. And he just got a big crush on her that I don't think he ever got over. And so anytime a Maureen O'Hara movie was on, you better believe my dad and I settled in and watched it. She is so talented. And I think she's an actress that both men and women admire, partly for what I think she lived by, which was the quote that I said about fighting for what is right. And that's going to be the segue into our topic today. What was Confidential Magazine? (laughs) Confidential Magazine. It really was Hollywood's very first rag. It was the very first... National Enquirer? Yeah, it was very much like the National Enquirer of its day. It was a scandalous magazine that told these these salacious stories of actors and actresses that were partially true, mostly not true. It really preyed on America's appetite for knowing the behind the scenes of celebrities. But Um, not always truthfully. Not always truthfully. And Maureen O'Hara was pivotal in basically stopping this magazine in its tracks. So the magazine, the first issue came out in December of 52, if I'm right with my dates. And it was a relatively large subscription base even then, 250,000. When Marilyn Monroe and Joe DiMaggio broke up, it jumped to 800,000. The editor, who we'll get to, the owner, said that it actually was read by millions of people because each copy was read by 10 different people, in his opinion. (laughs) I don't know if that was a marketing ploy or if there was some truth to that. But tell us about Robert Harrison. Robert Harrison, he was the editor, the founder. He started off doing this cheesecake magazine, which featured photos of models in skimpy clothes and suggestive poses. Well, for some reason, those magazines started losing money. So he got the idea of telling celebrity stories. Mm -hmm. 
But he employed these very questionable methods to get the dirt on celebrities. Uh. He would hire prostitutes to lure celebrities into compromising positions. He would wiretap people. He would even extort money to get inside gossip from stars in exchange for killing an unfavorable story about them. And his topics tended to be things like substance abuse habits, criminal records, hidden politics, sex, sex, and sex. Who's gay in Hollywood. Yes, I mean, he really wanted to go for the sleazy, the things we didn't talk about in polite society. Right. So Harrison himself summed up his journalistic methods like this. He's quoted (laughs) as saying, once we establish the star in the hay, and that's documented... We can say anything we want, and I think we make them a hell of a lot more interesting than they really are. What's a guy going to do? Sue us and admit he was in the hay with the dame, but claim he didn't do all the other things we dressed the story with? (laughs) I mean... Wow. That sort of sounds reminiscent to today's time. I was going to say it's very, very reminiscent of, of, I think, things we're dealing with today and news and fake news. Yes, I think his journalistic methods were so unethical, but it worked for him. His circulation went crazy. He ended up 5 million readers for his magazine, and he brought it from 200,000 to 5 million because he was telling these really scandalous stories that, that may or may not have been true. So it was being read by more people than most magazines at the time. Yeah, Time Magazine had fewer readers than Confidential at its peak. The year 1957 was a pivotal year for Confidential. Strangely enough, it's also the year that the Wings of Eagles hit movie theaters, which was January of 1957. But also, it's the same year that Confidential shocked readers with this salacious headline, The Night Dan Daly Was Dolly Dawn, claiming the popular star had been seen dancing while wearing a dress in a New York City gay bar the previous March. Which would have been, in that time period, quite shocking. Yes. And then... Two months later, Confidential goes after Daly's Wings co-star, Maureen O'Hara, our girl, claiming that she was engaged in a sexual tryst with her Latin lover in the balcony of Grauman's Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. And it would be this Maureen O'Hara story that would ultimately help seal the fate for this unscrupulous magazine. Hmm. And it was around this time that actress Elizabeth Scott and actor Robert Mitchum decided enough was enough. And after having horrible stories written about them in Confidential, rather than give in or accept money to make it go away, they decided to sue, which was unheard of at the time. They were the first two stars to ever sue Confidential Magazine. I love that. Now, they were in California, but the magazine was in New York. It was a New York entity. Yes. So how did that well, go this down? This was a very telling part of the story because basically their suits were thrown out because of the technicality. Right. They should have sued in New York, but they didn't. So instead, They had their cases thrown out, and Harrison, realizing he was in trouble, he did settle with both of them for a lot of money to make it go away. But California Attorney General Pat Brown, who would later go on to become the governor of California, he was... And father of future governor Jerry Brown. (laughs) That's right. He, at the encouragement of a lot of people in Hollywood who had been victimized by this, I would say, horrible magazine, he filed a libel and obscenity lawsuit against Harrison and Confidential Magazine. Yes. And this was the real game changer. I mean, this is the pivotal moment where Confidential saw the writing on the wall. So the state of California goes after Confidential Magazine, but Robert Harrison, he was not going to take it lying down. He fought back. 
he hired this aggressive defense attorney named Arthur Crowley, who sent shockwaves through Hollywood when he threatened to subpoena hundreds of stars. He stated that truth was also a defense for liable and that he would be asking these stars very detailed information about their private lives. Okay, so essentially he's saying that truth, in quotes, <laughs> is their defense and that he's going to make everybody talk about their lives that and say things that they don't want to have to divulge to the public. Yeah, basically he was going to make stars go on the stand and swear on the Bible to tell the truth, and then he was going to ask them all these embarrassing questions oh, about boy. their personal private lives. Well, this sent a fury through Hollywood, as you can imagine. Everybody ran for the hills. And it's it's been <laughs> said that Frank Sinatra took his boat onto the international waters to avoid a subpoena. Oh, wow. Clark Gable fled to Spain, and our boy Dan Daly, he even leaped into the audience from the stage of the Hollywood Bowl after a performance because he saw a process server waiting for him in the wings. That's how much people wanted to avoid this subpoena. So, yeah, that would be incredibly intimidating. <laughs> and Brown was encouraged, right, to drop the charges? He was. People did encourage him to drop the charges because Hollywood just didn't want to risk all of their precious stars being exposed of in course. such a vulnerable way. Well, they ended up calling this trial the trial of 100 stars, <laughs> oh. which is very funny. <laughs> but Brown stuck to his guns and he did not drop the lawsuit. So everything went forward as it should have. So the lawsuit came to trial in May of 1957, and Attorney General Brown decided to focus on just six specific celebrity stories. And which celebrities were those? So he decided to focus on the stories about Maureen O'Hara, Robert Mitchum, Dorothy Dandridge, Gary Cooper, Mae West, and even June Allison. Like June what, Allison? What scandalous thing could June Allison have done? <laughs> I can't even imagine. I know. Everyone's girl next door. That's crazy. So everybody was relieved that the trial of 100 stars wasn't going to have 100 stars. It was just going to have six. <laughs> the trial of six stars. But not everybody was relieved. I knew Elizabeth Scott back in the 90s. Okay, um, that's just crazy. But I know. So great. The, so the great. The film noir goddess. Very interesting, smart, complicated woman, very guarded. But we did have dinner one night at Orso. She loved the old Orsos, mm. which is, God bless its soul, it's gone it's now gone. here. But she told me that she was so ready to testify. She really was hoping and praying that her story would be one of the ones that Attorney General Brown would focus on because she wanted to bring those suckers down. <laughs> she wanted to go toe-to-toe with Harrison. She did. She was ready yeah. and, and you know, she was not playing around. And I, I believed her. The way she told that to me that night, I thought, yeah, you would have been a fantastic witness on the She stand. seems like such, at least on screen, such a tough cookie, having just seen The Strange Love of Martha Ivers from <laughs> 46 and just so talented. Yeah, she was a tough cookie, but yeah, very, very guarded. Now, there was a star witness that wasn't one of the actual stars. It was a star <laughs> witness, but not a star for the state of California. And his name was Howard Rushmore. Who yes. was he? Well, he was a very questionable witness to begin with because Howard Rushmore, he used to work for Confidential Magazine. In fact, he was the guy who would go out and get the stories and, and put the heat on stars. And I mean, he was basically the, the, the lynch mob for 
uh, Robert Harrison. Ah. Well, he got tired of the magazine and its unethical ways, or so he said, mm. and he decided to turn state's witness and tell about all the inside scoop on the unscrupulous journalistic techniques, all the illegal activity, all the dirt on confidential. So he was going to turn tail here. Do you think that he grew a conscience or do you think there was something else going on there? Well, because <laughs> he was a communist and then he wasn't a communist and well, then he was telling exactly. on other communists. And... You know, this was the guy who testified in the House Un-American Activities Committee hearing in D.C. a few years prior. He testified about the infiltration of commies in Hollywood, and he testified against stars like Edgar G. Robinson and Charlie Chaplin and Clifford Odets. So it's funny that he would have such a shift, 180-degree turn. So I don't know. I don't know if it was legitimate, but a lot of people thought it was just sour grapes because Howard Rushmore was angry at Robert Harrison because he threatened to hire more liberal writers. And Howard Rushmore was an insane conservative crazy man. So his testimony, because he was seen as conservative at the time, that did not sit well with jurors? Did they believe him? Did they? It did not. He really was uh, not a very effective witness. But fortunately, they also put on the stand Dorothy Dandridge, mm. and she was a very effective witness. What was she accused of that she didn't do? What was the story that Harrison came up with for her that was not true? Well, her story, it was it was really interesting, and, and so of the era. She was accused <laughs> of being in Lake Tahoe and having inner racial relations with a white man, which at the time was illegal. You and know. this is not that long ago, and it wasn't which that is long unbelievable. Ago. And of course, during the time, that would end her career, something that scandalous. But she was so effective in saying basically that all the hotels in Lake Tahoe were segregated at the time. So she couldn't have even possibly been at a hotel with a white man. She so, wouldn't have been able to walk in the door with yes. a white man. She would no. have been arrested. The, the scrutiny or... they would have gotten had they walked into a hotel together. So much less have sex in public or whatever she was accused of. Right. So which which was a very effective testimony in this trial. So after Dorothy Dandridge's testimony, Maureen O'Hara testifies next. Yes. And we will get to what she says right after this week's Hollywood Pop Quiz. Steve, take it away. All right. Our pop quiz today, Confidential Magazine publisher Robert Harrison was the inspiration for the Hush Hush Magazine reporter character Sid Hudgens in Curtis Hansen's 1997 neo-noir film, L.A. Confidential. The question is, who played Sid in the film? Ooh, I know this one. People should know this. <laughs> no, don't Google. We'll reveal the answer and have more to say about Confidential Magazine right after this. There is a corner of Los Angeles where dreams are brought to life. The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. Where stars are born. Made in bars! Top of the world! Where legends are made. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! For over a hundred years, the world has been captivated by Hollywood. But just beneath the stardust lie a million more fascinating stories. Tales of heroism, villainy, betrayal, passion, tragedy, and triumph that, when sewn together, form an incredible history. The Secret History of Hollywood, available now wherever you get podcasts. All right, Stephen Ann will be right back, but first, another stop on the Hollywood tour. Walt Disney, the man responsible for the creation of 
arguably the most well-known cartoon character in the world, Mickey Mouse, was actually terrified of mice. But despite his fear, he saw mice as very sympathetic creatures, which is why he chose to base Mickey on a mouse. And now, back to Steve and Ann from Beneath the Hollywood Sign. We're talking about Confidential Magazine, and we're in the midst of the trial. Dorothy Dandridge has taken the stand. Yes. Next up is Maureen O'Hara to take the stand. But our I girl. just Yes, she's our girl. And let's just chat about her for a minute. Yeah, because some people may not be familiar with Maureen O'Hara. She had a long career. She started her career back in England in the late 30s, and she was discovered by the great British actor Charles Lawton. Lawton uh, saw something really rare and really special in her, so he put her under contract. And based on this, she came to the attention of Alfred Hitchcock. And Hitchcock cast her in her first important film, which was Jamaica Inn. And after that, she starred with Lawton in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. This one-two punch is what really got her started. So what are your favorite Maureen O'Hara, if you can pick uh, <laughs> one, two, three? You know, I have so many favorite Maureen O'Hara movies, but I think I would have to go with The Quiet Man. I know we just talked about that a little bit. but And our, our dear friend Rick will uh, will be cheering you on with that one when he hears you say <laughs> well, that. Well, Rick has good taste in movies. Yes. It's just such a romantic funny, lovely movie set in Ireland. Like him or not, Maureen O'Hara had incredible chemistry with leading man John Wayne. She did. They did um, a number of films together. Yeah, they were similar. You, you could tell that they were hot-headed and passionate, and it just worked on screen, and their chemistry was palpable. Yeah. And this movie, directed by John Ford, and it had an incredible supporting cast of these wonderful character actors. Mildred Natwick, I know, is a standout oh, in it. But, and shot in Ireland. And shot in Ireland and, and in color. It's just a spectacular movie. And if you really want to get a flavor of who Maureen O'Hara was, I would check that one out for sure. What about you? I just wrote down three top movies. One we've talked about a lot before, Parent Trap. That was oh, the first the time I became aware of Maureen <laughs> O'Hara as a kid watching yes. that movie and what an amazing performance that is. But one of my favorites, and we're going to be doing an episode on holiday films coming up. So this is not on my list for that because we're going to have a little bit more obscure titles. But Miracle on 34th Street, oh. she's so wonderful. The, yes. the arc of that character, how she starts out as not believing the non-believer. The non-believer. And she's <laughs> she's turned Natalie Wood as a young child into a non-believer. And and Chris Kringle, you know, changes everything. And she's wonderful in I that. Love, and I love her as a working girl in that I movie. I do, too. You know, she's I do, too. independent. She doesn't need a man until she meets John Payne and doesn't realize it. But yes. she's just such a breath of fresh air in that she film. She is. And then finally, Only the Lonely, which is oh. from later in her career. I believe it was her final film yes, with John Candy. And it's just wonderful. It's in fact, I I want to go revisit that. It's heartbreaking, that movie. Yeah. Uh, just the pathos between her and John Candy and just the complicated mother-son relationship. Yeah. Such a good film. Yeah. Not not a, not a from the golden age of Hollywood, but a wonderful film nonetheless. Yeah. But Maureen O'Hara was a major, major film star. So when Confidential Magazine decided to come after her, being the Irish lass with the, the gusto <laughs> Fiery red and hair. the fury, <laughs> she, I love that she stood up for herself. I do too. She didn't back down. No surprise. She went after him. Her story was one of the six that Attorney General Brown decided decided to use in his trial. So she had to testify and testify she did. <laughs> now, the story that they told about her in Confidential that was untrue was about a tryst in the balcony 
of yes. Grauman's or the back of Grauman's, which is now... With a hot Latin lover. Oh, boy. Okay. Which, even that was probably a little scandalous I'm in the sure day. it was. But it was so not true. In fact, Maureen O'Hara was so prepared the day she took the stand on trial, she even produced travel documents that proved that she was out of the country when this supposed tryst happened. When you go back to the original magazine article and you have photos of it on your website, it's amazing how they kind of come at it from all different angles. They say that there's an usher that saw her and had a flashlight and was just shocked because his shirt was unbuttoned and hers was open. And it's all untrue. There's always that usher or that waitress. (laughs) Always. Yes. Who saw it and test, you know, can say, that it's the truth when in fact it's not. They really preyed on actors who were down on their luck, who needed money, that would trade stories and inside scoop for money. Yes. uh, Which I think was so predatory and horrible. It really was. Well, once Maureen testified and Dorothy testified, it was really looking favorable for Attorney General Brown. But in a surprise twist, the trial ended in a mistrial with jurors splitting seven to five in favor of a conviction. But still, a mistrial. Seven to five. I can't believe that that was the number. Yeah, I really thought it would have been closer. But for some reason, I guess they didn't think they had enough information to completely convict Robert Harrison and his ways. But it basically meant that they had to start all over again. Okay. I wonder if part of the reason there was a mistrial is because people in everyday life look at the lives of celebrities and maybe assume there has to be something salacious about their lives. (laughs) Yes. I remember when I decided to move to Hollywood. My grandmother, she was just convinced it would just be sex, drugs, orgies. That would be my life from right. here on out. It was right. just the way Hollywood was. Right. So and so I maybe those there's... jurors couldn't believe that, no, this is not true. <laughs> of course, Maureen O'Hara was with her hot, sexy lover in the balcony. Right, know? right. But for whatever reason, it caused a conundrum for the state. They had to decide whether or not they wanted to go through the expense of another trial. But Attorney General Brown, who was really dedicated to bringing this rag down, decided that it was worth it, and he was going to seek an immediate retrial. Well, this put the fear of God in Robert Harrison. He did not want another trial. And the first one cost him how much money? Oh, half a million dollars it cost this guy. So he's not so gung-ho to do it again. So he goes to Brown, and he makes a deal. Okay. And the deal is, in exchange for no longer publishing these salacious stories about the private lives of Hollywood stars, that the state would agree to drop all charges except for one count of conspiring to publish obscene materials which carried a $5,000 fine and they'd call it a day. So the state ultimately agreed to the terms and that's what happened. So the story stopped with the celebrities and interestingly enough, the readership plummeted. (laughs) Of course. So in a sense, that deal really shut down the magazine. It did. It really did. Harrison tried to pivot. He changed formats, but still people wanted their dirt. People Mm -hmm. wanted the scoop. And so since Confidential was no longer giving them this dirt, it basically died a slow, painful death. It never achieved the same success in its glory days, and Harrison eventually sold the magazine. And what I think is in a funny coincidence, Robert Harrison died at age 73 in 1978, the exact same 
year that the final issue of Confidential Magazine hit the newsstand. So it lasted that long until 1978. It did. It didn't tell celebrity stories, but and I forgot. It had many incarnations of, of trying sure. different things, but it never really caught on like it did in its glory days. You know, another side note back to the trial in 57. What's interesting about a California Attorney General Brown is he would go on the next year to win the election for California governor. He became governor in 1959. And I have to believe that what he did with this trial must have helped his political career. I think it was probably a pivotal moment politically for him. I think it definitely was great politically for his career, and it shone a big light on him. And I think it gave him a lot of publicity. I'm sure that led to political victory. Yeah. And certainly on the right side of things for celebrities who can definitely help your political career. Indeed. I mentioned earlier Jerry Brown. Yes. Uh, And this is just a silly side note, but when I first came to Los Angeles, I worked for a law firm in downtown LA and Jerry Brown was one of the attorneys there, but he was never there because he was always in Sacramento, uh, you know, doing things. But every now and then he would come to the office and it would be like, look busy, mom's home. <laughs> it's, it's like um, it's like the devil wears Prada when Meryl Streep walks into the magazine and yes, everybody's that, like, ah. that's exactly how it was. You could just see all the attorneys, all the staff, everybody just jumped to attention. Everybody was scrambling around and break rooms were getting cleaned and it was insane. But this one particular time he came in for a couple of hours, he did whatever business he did there. And then he went to get his car and he couldn't find his car keys. So I was sent back up to his office to scour around to see if I could find the man's you car keys. You got to scour around in Jerry Brown's I office? I did. And I found his car keys. So of course, I ran back down to valet. <laughs> I gave Mr. Brown his car keys. I'll never forget this. He literally tussled my hair like your father does if you're on Little League. And he said, thank you. You're a good boy. <laughs> Oh, that is so sweet. And that's my Jerry Brown story. Okay, just a really quick side note in terms of our similarities in what we did. I worked at many a law firm when I first moved here. Oh, I didn't know that. I worked at Reardon and McKenzie, Richard Reardon's law firm. Of course. I never saw him. Well, I think that's how it worked in those yes. days. The, the, the big guys with the names never showed up. Yes, yes. Yeah. Or they had already put in their time and they, yes. were, they were off doing other things. So what does Confidential teach us about today? Oh, my goodness. So many things. First of all, tell the truth. Don't spread fake news. You know, I think it's important to have journalistic integrity. And I think if you do have journalistic integrity, uh, you do your due diligence, you tell stories correctly, you provide a service that's so important. So I think that's the big lesson. And another thing that I think it teaches us, and I think this is becoming so important today, is before you believe that Justin Bieber is an alien (laughs) or that Oprah Winfrey secretly controls the weather from a hidden room in Harpo Studios. Right. She doesn't? She doesn't. Just fact check, people. You can do it your own. You know, do your due diligence and fact check. I think that's the important lesson here. Yeah, and maybe use more than one site. Yes. (laughs) Well, this has been a really interesting conversation about Confidential Magazine. Now, I know the answer to our pop quiz, and I'm wondering how many other people do. Steve, what was the question? Well, the question was, in Curtis Hansen's 1997 movie, L.A. Confidential, who played the unscrupulous editor of Hush Hush Magazine, which was based on Confidential Magazine's publisher, Robert Harrison? And of course, the answer is Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito, who is now starring on Broadway in a new play called 
called I Need That with his daughter. I know, and he's so good in LA Confidential. He is so wonderful. <laughs> he really is. Well, this has been wonderful. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we would love it if you would give us a follow on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. We have our own YouTube channel at From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. And if you have any questions, comments, anything you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at info at FromBeneathTheHollywoodSign.com. Until next time, that's this week's view. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. We all think you're a good boy, Steve. We, isn't that crazy? I mean, I was 24 or 25. You should keep that in. <laughs> You've been listening to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign with Steve Kubine and Ann McNamara, the podcast that celebrates amazing stories of Tinseltown from its golden era. Join us next week for another episode and learn something else about Hollywood you probably never knew. Take a moment and give us a five-star rating and a positive review. And tell your friends about us, too. It'll help grow the podcast. Visit Steve's website at FromBeneathTheHollywoodSign.com. The executive producers are Steve Kubine and Nan McNamara. Executive producer and post-production supervisor, Lindsay Schneble. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit AirwaveMedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like The Box of Oddities and The Shallow End with Schneble and Toth. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. That's a wrap.